Thank you for listening to the Ace Jewelers podcast. This is an episode of The Ace List Live. This podcast has been recorded live during a live stream, which was broadcast on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. This is an audio-only version of that recording. JX, good to see you. Good to see you. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been bugging you for three years already to come on the show. Um, for our dear viewers, SJX or Jai Chen Su, which he prefers JX or SJX, is one of my favorite watch journalists out there. For sure, the best one in Asia, and together with our mutual friend Waiko, they rule Asia for me. But why I put JX on a pedestal, he is all about authenticity, quality, very technical, very minimalistic. You actually have a very Western European style of meticulousness, Swiss, German, Dutch way of writing. I love the design of your website. So for a lot of people that don't know SGX, SGX is not a watch manufacturer. It has an amazing online watch publication, amazing editorial content, photography, very in-depth. Um, you guys don't drive yourself crazy and your readers with the pulse of breaking news. You guys do everything thoroughly. Um, you're very modest, so I'm very humble that you did take up my offer on coming on my the pleasure. show. So thank you so much. Um, you started writing already in 97. Um, I got interested in watches in 97. And then you started as a freelance journalist? I started writing when I was in uh, a school in, in, in the equivalent of, I guess, high school. Yeah. Uh, like for pocket money, I started uh, writing watch articles for, uh, back then it was still the print media. So magazines, yeah. papers in Singapore. Yeah. And um, SJX watches now exist, if I'm not wrong, 11 years. Yes, correct. Correct. So amazing. So you, although you have a, a Chinese Mandarin background, you are born and raised in Singapore, where you are today right now, yeah. correct? Amazing. Okay. So we start the show always um, by doing a, a very important thing. A wrist check. I'm very curious what you're wearing today. Black Bay ceramic. Oh, amazing. 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 So I racked my brain what I should wear, but I chose to opt for our first collab with Nomos, which is the background of our show today, because that's actually where our journey starts that you helped us out with promoting the watch, which we were very grateful for. And I believe that, that that design also spoke to you personally. So um, that and, underlines. And, and I thought it was a very uh, subtle and clever design um, that was not just another limited edition in a different color. So you guys did a really good job with, 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 the, with the subtle details of, of that design. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So so that's basically six years ago is uh, when we really connected, although I knew you from the Fora and SJX watches, obviously. Um, but I've always been a fan and I always love what you guys do. And you are a bit a myth, a legend. So <laughs> a lot of um, watch collectors hit me up when we announced that you're on the show because they were very eager to learn about you, and especially since we're doing more personal questions. So I want to dive in to the seven standard ace list questions, of which the first 
is what watch or jewel is your favorite and why? Uh, it, it, it's a really difficult question, uh, but I would say uh, probably uh, an FP Jaune mm -hmm. uh, because it is a um, product, it's a watch that I like in terms of the design, the complication, uh, the history. It comes from a brand that I respect uh, by a watchmaker who I think is very talented um, and who is, who is, well, he's obviously, it's obviously a hot brand today, but that wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. Even when he, it wasn't a hot brand, he was still a very talented watchmaker making very good products. Yeah. It's um, funny that you chose FP Jordan because my grill watch is actually the Suverantu wheel. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I, I... Sorry. Uh, well, I was just going to say my... Uh, specifically, my favorite model would be the Tobion Suveran as well. Yeah. yeah. It's... Um, uh, the resonance also very much speaks to me. Yeah. But the first time I held one in my hands, I think it was... 19, 18 years ago, I was blown away because the late Gino Sukovic, who had a deep hand in the brand. So Antwerp is close to Amsterdam. That's where I discovered it. And okay. it's where my we used to go day trips to Antwerp. And then obviously we go shopping for watches. And that's how I, I discovered Vianney Halter and F.P. Juna. So it's everything thanks to our colleague Ginotti in Antwerp. So uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. So amazing. Second question. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, it, I, I guess I wanted to do something related to watches because watches were already an interest of mine when I was young. So I sort of knew uh, that would be something that I would, yeah, I would want to do. And did you have this passion instilled upon you through family or how did you get affected? It was actually um, when my mother wanted to buy me a watch uh, when I was 12 years old. Uh, she had uh, gave me a budget uh, uh, to buy a watch that was not a disposable watch. Because at that age, up to that point in time, Practically all the watches I owned were sort of disposable watches. They were not really proper watches. Mm -hmm. uh, now the budget was a bit more and I had to buy a watch that, you know, it wouldn't spoil and I have to get rid of it. Something that could be repaired and something that could last. Uh, so that set me on uh, 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 down the path of doing some research to see what I could buy with money. And that's how I got interested in watches. Interesting. The watch that I bought at the time was a Tag Heuer. Funny. This was probably Amazing. What, model, what model did you opt for? Uh, 2000 series. Amazing. Uh, automatic which, 2000 series. Yeah. Which again shows that you have good taste because <laughs> little people know that it's a gel genta design. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, this was in 1997. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's and and that's uh, and what fueled your passion to writing as well. Then that's where it started. Amazing. Very cool. Um, who is your role model? Who are your role models or past role models for you? Who inspire you? Um, I, I, there's no specific role model, but at least in terms of what I do as a profession, uh, I uh, like entrepreneurs who build businesses that are sustainable for the long term, uh, which has recurring success over years, decades. People like this are my role models. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you find people like this across every industry. Um, mm -hmm. What I appreciate is that uh, entrepreneurs with a long-term vision uh, who go slow and steady and basically build something that lasts. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think that that's the way to succeed. And that's probably especially... Uh, relevant today because in the last, I would say, three, four years, there has been a lot of uh, very rapid success in many industries and many sectors. Uh, but, you know, I always try to remind myself that it's the, it's the long term that matters. And 
usually things take time, but eventually you get there. Interesting. Could that also be the reason why you are maybe the only publication that doesn't get um, driven mad by the pulse of social media and, and, and that everything needs to be done at the speed of light and that you take your time and do everything qualitative? Yes, I, that, that's a reason um, because I also believe that my readers or at least the readers that are the most engaged mm. are those who don't really need the news immediately but want mm. to know a little bit more, want to know what lies behind it um, because that informs the purchasing decision mm. which typically is, the, um, is the, the key reason behind reading about the watch. Yeah. Interesting. So if I had to twist your arm and ask you for names, because you, you mentioned industries and, and people. So who, who, who would you mention that pops um, into your mind? One, one that pops into mind is because of a book I just finished, which I think is your next question. Uh, it is about the guy who founded Renaissance uh, Capital, the hedge fund okay. in the U.S. And that's in, a, in where? In where? Based in America, Renaissance okay. Uh, technologies. His name is uh, Jim Simons. So he's, he's a successful hedge fund manager. Yeah. Uh, but what is interesting is that for him, it was a late career. I think he was in his 40s or 50s when he started this. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of trial and error to get it right. In, in the early days, when you read the book, it says a lot of things didn't go right. Uh, so it took years, uh, decades. Uh, and, then it, and then it worked. And now it's probably one of... No, I think this is not I'm not is sure. Is that the correct one? Renaissance Technologies, not Renaissance. Oh, Technologies, sorry. Okay. And now it's probably one of the most successful uh, hedge funds in the world. Okay. Uh, they build computer models that predict the market and, yeah. then, uh, and, and make very tiny returns on the smallest movements of all sorts of asset classes. Interesting. Okay, so we indeed jumped the question because we jumped from uh, three to five. Um, so, but, but, but it's very interesting because you obviously have a very wide interest besides watches. You are also one of maybe the first watch publications that also wrote about business news in the industry. So, um, do you have a financial background? Um, in a sense, yes, in that I studied it in university. Mm -hmm. Uh, I studied finance, well, business and economics, uh, yeah. and I did internships in a family office where yeah. I was a analyst, uh, sort of, um, I guess, crunching the numbers for in, in the investments. Uh, yeah. But I, I haven't worked professionally uh, in, in in any in the financial industry. Yeah. So here, here is here are some examples uh, of articles on on. on your website so that that's also interesting because i assume a lot of watch buyers are active also in the financial markets and interesting just by virtue of their background or their profession so yeah. it's not product that interests them but also the business itself yeah interesting it's a small but fascinating business the, the watch industry yeah it is so although you and i i think are very meticulous and precise but in this world you need to be agile so i'm just jumping from one question to the other so back to the third one who in the watch industry is then an inspiration for you um as what leader maybe not so much a role model for you so say for example as uh as uh, as a watch collector yeah uh, i think well he, he's famous everybody knows him Auro, john goldberger who i'm yeah. sure you've social media uh, yeah. I think collector he's one of my role models even though uh, his, he collects I would say stuff that's largely different from me but his approach to collecting is very analytical very scholarly he truly understands the topic he understands the product he understands the people he understands the market this sort of all-encompassing approach to collecting is one that I respect and I think is worthy of, uh, of, 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 worthy of emulating. Yeah. Interesting. And, and if, if I had to do a quick guess, I think your common passions is Cartier. 
Cartier, yes, that's why. Especially tank Americans yeah. is my guess. Yes. I mean, he, <laughs> he, he has an incredible collection of vintage Cartier and, and, and a lot of other watches. Yeah, cool. I hope uh, John is watching or will watch it. We salute you. You're a great inspiration to, to us younger collectors. Indeed. Um, if you could teleport tomorrow, Jakes, where would you go? And it can be time travel as well. Uh, um, well, if it's time travel, I would probably want to go back to the, I guess, the late 80s. Yeah. Uh, just to see how the... Um, how it's not really modern, but how the the watch industry today took shape. Uh -huh. The roots of today's watch business don't lie in you know 1785 or whatever it is, but yeah. actually more or less the late 80s in Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that would be interesting to see how yeah. everything came together and and gave birth to this the industry as it is today. The people, the places, and what happened. Yeah. That would be great. What may I ask? What vintage you are? What year are you? Eighty-five. You're eighty-five, so I'm seventy-nine. So I'm a bit older, and because I had the luck to to work in this industry, so so really, eighty-three, four, five were very monumental. Yes, I I was just old enough to start grasping because in eighty-three we became a swatch dealer. So my dad gave me a swatch, but I was four years old. Okay. G-Shock, so I got confronted with analog time, digital time. Mm. He was already retailing IMC Porsche design. Wow. From okay. the 70s to 80s. So I was mesmerized by titanium. That's why I love titanium. The compass watch. The mm. Porsche design integrated chronograph pushers. Uh, the Da Vinci in 85. That was mind-blowing. Portuguese chronograph came out, the 3714. Uh, Bradley Chronomat, yes, so so in these times, it, it but but there was no community like now, there was oh. no momentum, it was quartz that was was dominating, uh, Japanese brands were dominating, so the Swiss were underdogs, yeah, it, it was more of a niche industry, but it would yeah. have been interesting to see not just the industry but also how a lot of the collectors uh, were developing at the time because at the time most of the important uh, big the biggest collectors still mainly collected pocket watches yeah uh, wristwatch collectors who are sort of the young guys new guys so it was also been interesting to see how that was developing why they were buying wristwatches then why they were buying uh, early independent watchmakers then you know like frank muller vincent calabrese all yeah. that was interesting to yeah. see for it's interesting that you mentioned um, pocket watches because you write in your bio on the website that you're fascinated by J.P. Morgan's um, watch. Yes. Why is that? Why? Because I think I think pocket watches are impressive objects. Yeah. Uh, and very often um, there are also well because pocket watches have, were also around for longer than wrist watches. Wrist watches yeah. more. 100 years old pocket watches yeah. have a history that go back another four or five hundred years so there are many pocket watches with in interesting histories um and also as objects they are arguably more impressive than watches because just because they are bigger and you can yeah. put more stuff in them um but they are not something i collect because they like i said they are more objects than they are um portable timepieces but as objects i think they are fascinating I mean, one of the most interesting, impressive pocket watches I've seen is the uh, Kremsdorf. It's this turquoise yeah. enamel pocket watch mm -hmm. that I think is one of the oldest uh, portable timekeepers ever made. And it's almost in the what you would call new old stock condition. You know, it sold, uh, I think, two or three years ago for like $3 million. I went to yeah. the Protect Museum. And that's an incredible object just because it's uh, almost 400 years old and it's new old stock. You know, it's practically in mint condition. So that's incredible. You wonder how it survived 400 years and suffered no damage at all. Amazing, it's huh? Entirely enamel. Amazing. So I'm grabbing something on my desk, you see. I, wow. <laughs> I, I collect a lot of stopwatches. I don't know why. I don't do anything with them. Um, but 
yeah i feel you and then and, and it, it's 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 a uh, time capsule and and it's real art and i also have pocket watch which i don't do anything with it but the fun thing is i was goofing around with my kids this weekend and um i forgot that the iphone the stopwatch has an analog function yeah yes so i started teaching him instead of the digital stopwatch the analog one so i said do you want one yeah 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 so it's funny that that um if we don't pay attention to it the fascination is there but we need to cultivate it so so that's cool so i'm I'm gonna give him one from my uh, private collection but you don't you don't collect pocket watches no i don't uh i have maybe one or two but i, I don't collect pocket watches no. yeah it, it's it's a pity that i i guess only with a white tie outfit you would wear them but otherwise yeah, objects so maybe i will in the future but i think now i i prefer to focus on wristwatches. me too me too same here same here amazing um oh sorry one question i know where i would go if i would join you on your teleportation travel to the mid 80s where would you go though where would i go I would probably want to go to one of those watch fairs they used to have in Italy for independent watchmakers. Amazing. Uh, I, I, well, I heard, because this is really before my time, but in, in places like Milan and, and I think Turin and so on, like wealthy indus industrial cities in Italy, they would have watch fairs where there was Frank Muller and uh, Vincent Calabresi and Sven Anderson and all the other independent watchmakers would be showing their watches. Uh, I think that would be interesting. To see what it was like then for that particular niche of the industry, how they were doing, who was buying their watches, why these people were buying such watches. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, oh, we have a special guest. Okay. Hello. Say hi. Hello. I heard you say were very hi, busy. Say hi. Say hi. Hello. Hello. The best journalist in the world, watch journalist, SGX. Ah, good. This is Judith. Hello. Country manager, Swatch Group Netherlands, but she's a girl boss, so she runs uh, <laughs> half of Northern Europe of Swatch Group. Yes. I so, just came to see why you are too busy to come and say uh, she was hello. Insult, uh, she was insulted <laughs> I didn't go up to say hello, so I said... But uh, now I understand. Huh? Good. JX is... Um... He's huge. I know. I know your <laughs> name. Huge, I know you're by reputation. See? Thank you. Let's uh, talk. Sorry, Jakes. Okay. So funny that she walks in because I wanted to say I would love to see 82 83 when late Hayek was doing consultancy, deciding to buy up all the watch manufacturers, create SMH that today is what you I would have wanted to be there. So that that's interesting. Um so yeah, sorry about that. Um book we've done. On topic of book, though, I'll, I'll ask a bonus question. Do you publish SGX in print? Only digital? Uh, I've only done one print before, which was a one book time. with Tudor. Tudor, I visited the factory and I took some pictures and I wrote about it. And it was a limited edition print book. Amazing. Yeah. Is there more print in the pipeline for? Uh, probably not because it just takes too much too many resources to put out pr print um, maybe i'll do it but it won't be anytime soon interesting so we've seen uh, many years now color explosions what do you think is going to be the color of 23. i think it will sort of it will be shades of green it won't exactly be green we see today but i think watchmakers are going to develop the the shades of green they have to offer light green dark green turquoise sea green i think we're going to see a lot of that interesting do you like the green uh well it depends on the context mm. uh, i think some watches look great in green but mm -hmm. as always you can have too much of good thing so mm -hmm. they can't much green um now there are a lot of watches in green and not only some of them, I think, look really good in green. Last question. Have you ever been to Amsterdam before? Unfortunately not. Okay. So now you need to promise me your next Europe trip. I will definitely. Let's go a bit more north. Yeah. 
As, since you're an islander, you're used to jetting everywhere. Next Switzerland trip, you're training, driving, flying times in one hour. We, will. we, need, we need to do a, a get-together meetup here. Well. Okay. But but interesting, you haven't been. So what is your vision or what what what, what do you think when you hear Amsterdam for somebody who hasn't visited? Um, I think I, I visualize a European city with canals and mm. uh, low-rise buildings, uh, very tasteful architecture, mm. people on bicycles, mm. uh, tulips, flowers. Yeah. That's what I visualize. And on a watchmaking front? Yes, also the watchmakers there. What pops to your mind? Uh, Grunenfeld, Christian van der Klau, uh, and of course yourself. Thank you. I wasn't fishing for uh, compliments, but um, but it's interesting though uh, that the Dutch on the indie scene, from the cloud, has been around quite some time. It's not. Did you? I assume you heard the breaking news. Yes, two weeks ago, which I was very happy about. But I mean, this is also what we were um, discussing slightly earlier, just before we went live. Uh, that you you have one physical store in in. Well, you have a physical store in Europe, but you have a global presence because of what you do online. Yeah, I think is is unusual because usually retail retailers which have a big presence online usually are big retailers. Yeah, stores. Yeah, thank you for that. I was referring to Pim Kuslach going to Van der Klau. Yes, but I, I, I guess I guess I guess that's the Dutch. You know, they're they're seafaring countries going out. So uh, we we have always an outward outward look. Um, so yeah, um, those were the seven questions. Thank you so much. Although we've been all over the place, we kept it under thirty minutes. I have a zillion questions for you. Some uh, 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 regular viewers sent in questions that couldn't join real time and live. So we'll deal with that at the end. We will definitely ask, answer the questions of our viewers. What I am very eager to know, why is Singapore so, so, so obsessed with watches? I mean, historically, obviously it's Hong Kong, Japan as well. Although Japan is a big watch market. I think it's more of a volume market. Mm. Although Grand Psyche is amazing with Credor, Citizen does amazing stuff. Uh, historically, they did love the independence. I mean, I think the biggest market for FP Jorn is Japan. Mm. I think he opened his first monobrand boutique there as well. Yeah. But Japanese are not showing off. So not a lot reaches the surface. If you catch my drift, we have a lot of Singaporean customers. Uh, Singapore airline crew all obviously come here. Um, but, 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 but can you maybe enlighten us? Well, I think it is a, a combination of factors. Mm. One, Singapore is a, as a country, country is quite wealthy. Mm. Uh, you know, IGDP, which means there is spending power. Uh, two is that uh, the native language in Singapore is English. Mm -hmm. Easy for Singaporeans to access uh, international information. Mm -hmm. uh, in in Japan, as you mentioned, for instance, it is uh, English is less widely used. And mm -hmm. Singapore, Singapore, everything is in English. The road mm -hmm. sign and everything. So that makes uh, international access easier. Uh, three is that. Singapore historically is a, a port city, so a lot of goods come in and out. Uh, so it's actually a hub, a watch hub in a sense for the rest of the region, for Southeast Asia. Uh, and four is, uh, I think, historically also, um, well, four is related to three. Because Singapore is a hub, uh, all the goods come here, many wealthy people in the region shopped here, which creates a cycle that even more goods come here. So we have more supply. And it goes in hand with more demand, and then it creates a, I would say, it creates a culture of sorts where, 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 where there are people who buy watches. 
I, and I think there's a fourth dimension, personally, is Singaporeans like quality and perfection. I unfortunately have never been to Singapore yet, although it's on my list. Travel is very high. I haven't, but I grew up with Singapore in mind with two things. Because of the Israel-Singapore connection, very early on, there were a close friendship between the nations, young nations. So I grew up and, and I met Singaporeans very early on in my life. So I hung out with a lot. Fun-loving, but your country is very clean and, and, and architecture is beautiful and everything is done the right way. Very no Northwestern European, actually, or Japanese in that sense. Every uh, sense of perfection. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I think that that Singaporeans, you guys like art. You like good engineering. And I think that's a dimension. It's not about showing off. And it's not about using watches as a bragging right. Or Correct? Yeah. I think, yeah, part of it is appreciation of good uh, quality objects. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that goes the same for the Japanese culture. And then... Hong Kong, obviously, I think also was English colony and English, but but why is did that blow up as the watch hub of Asia? As was it before Singapore? I guess so, right? Yes, Hong Kong historically has been a big watch hub. Firstly, it started as a manufacturing hub. Yeah, Hong Kong used to do enormous uh, manufacturing of low end watches before yeah. it moved to. So one, it had a manufacturing base for the watch industry. Uh, two is that it is, uh, well, more recently, sort of a gateway to China. A lot of Chinese uh, buyers shopped in Hong Kong, which naturally yeah. made the market bigger. Yeah. Is that I think Hong Kong developed uh, at the earlier stage than Singapore. So Singapore historically was some years behind Hong Kong in development. So Hong Kong got to um, a high level of consumption earlier than Singapore. And also Hong Kong is a duty-free port, which means for many goods, whether it's watches or jewelry or diamonds, Hong Kong is attractive because it's duty-free. Mm. Yeah. Interesting, yeah. And and you know why I also formulate my my opinion about Singapore in this sense is because of our mutual friend Mike Tay and their family run super retailer, the hourglass, which is my role model as a retailer also is all about the um, education and pushing the metier de art, as the French Swiss say, about the, 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 the craftsmanship and art making. And I think that's also very rare in Asia or in the world even. Um, and, and, and they pushed very much so on the independence. Because I think that's also your forte, huh? That's that's a niche that you really like. You're you're not a snooty collector and you're not a snooty writer because you write a big variety. But I think your personal interests lie there, don't they? I I do. Yeah. I mean, I I, I like independent watchmaking. I think it is unique. It is special. Uh, it is. Yeah. It is. But I would say my taste in watches is very wide. Yeah. I, um. Uh, yeah, I'm like on my desk now, I have a, I have a Zin, yeah, an Easy M one. So it's uh, uh, I like watches of different genres. I think what a watch has to make sense. Okay, interesting. In terms of concept, very subjective, huh? very subjective. In terms of concept execution, you know, it has to come together in a coherent package and it has to make sense. And when that happens, then I think it's a good watch. Let's do a deep dive on that. It's a very interesting philosophical discussion. So what does or doesn't make sense for you then in watches? Let's let's talk about some... I, I get... Okay. I think it would have to be... Um, so to illustrate with a Tudor, this Tudor yeah. black ceramic I'm wearing, I think this is a fantastic product. Yeah. Uh, because number one, it is... It is affordable for most people. It is, I guess, three, four thousand euros over there. So it's affordable watch, very high quality. You get a lot of features. Um, so that, in a sense, it, it makes sense as an affordable product. 
But more than that, um, I appreciate the reasoning behind it, which, which yeah, you can see over there. You, I wrote an editorial about this. Um, and this, for me, is actually what struck me most about this watch. The, the, what I uh, presume is the long-term vision of the brand and how they are developing Tudor and how they are positioning, positioning it to compete with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, the rationale behind the watch, behind its development, its positioning, its price, its features, combined with the product itself, I think the entire thing makes sense and becomes very appealing. I, I shut up on purpose because I also own the watch. <laughs> I love it. I love black watches, but I utterly despise DLC and PVD. <laughs> so black can be today for me only a few things. Forged yeah. carbon, if you like the marbled look, or ceramic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I love the ceramic one because it's 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 blacked out, but it was a unique piece. So for the only watch auction, um, and and for me, this is a historic piece because it's the first Mita certified Tudor, which yes. we all know from Omega. I've seen it in in in, in Bill Bien, whatever language you want to use. Um, how they test it and 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 what these calibers can withstand so um yeah i i i am with you so 100 um but i'm not objective because we're to the retailers so it's a good choice you have a good brand very much very much a fan of i'm also fan of the brand that is the shield protecting the crown um <laughs> but but I think it's uh, more of the dual watch discrete matte finish. I like more matte than shiny. So um, if you look at the codes, what did you think? I'm, I'm just going all over the place. What did you think of the Black Bay Pro, which was one of the most talked pieces at Watches and Wonders I like in it. Geneva? I mean, I, I like it a lot. I, the DMT they had before, I think, was a little bit too big. It's not a very big watch, but it felt it feels bigger than it is. It feels thicker than it is. The Black Bay Pro, I think, is the perfect size. It's still a little bit thick. It's not exactly a big watch, but it's okay. It's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in terms of value for money, I don't think there is any other brand in Switzerland that offers the same kind of value that Tudor does um, by quite a large margin. Well said. And I, I guess the biggest discussion here is should or shouldn't have they used the DNA from the older <laughs> sister or brother? And then I'm referring to obviously the Explorer 1, Feccione. Um, how, what is your opinion on that? My opinion? Okay, this is purely my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is a personal uh, conversation. Personal no disclaimer. No disclaimers needed. But um, based on what little I know of Tudor and the people there, having spoken to them, um, I am probably certain that the design similarity is intentional. Yeah, and, and it is, and it's fair enough. Uh, and it is strategic, and it is careful because they are reviving. A design. Well, they are. They are. They were inspired by a design that is recognizable as being a Rolex, but only to watch enthusiasts. Yeah, majority of people today have no idea what the original Rolex Explorer is because it's like ah, what forty years ago that it was new. Uh, so for majority of people, it just looks like another sports watch. Uh, you know, Jake's the the majority of consumers that walk into our boutiques are digitally or physically. Six, even sixty percent that don't read the blogs, yeah. do not know these brands belong to each other. Yeah, because so, I think that again has. I think it's a good thing, but I think that if there's one brand in the world that can legitimately rip off, it is Tudor. Because when I get critical feedback from consumers, I said, "Who? Oh, let's do some history lessons together. Let's grab vintage Tudor watches, check out the case back, check out the crown." Yes. 
the crown of the watch has a crown logo. Yeah. So it was an amazing marketing case study what Wilfsdorf did. You could also see a, a, a sense of humor in that yeah. they are paying uh, tribute uh, or being inspired by something and they're sort of doing it with a wink and it's kind of funny that it looks nice. And, it, and then what I tell people, that that's why you need to see watches in your hands. Hold them. Because yeah. it's not orange. It's a yeah. yellowish yeah. orange. Um, but okay. Uh, I, I was blown away. What, what I love the watch. I love the design. Obviously, I like the, the heritage of it. What blew me away is the indexes. Yes. The indices yeah. of the watch. They're completely made out of one luminous hybrid material. And these are little things that they keep on pushing the envelope on technology, which I love. Yeah. It's uh, what they do with technology is very, is very impressive for, for what they charge. Um, again, it is my personal opinion, but uh, based on what the watches are, what they offer in terms of movement features and what the retail price is, um, I would say that Tudor as a brand probably has a smaller margin than most brands. Um, so in that sense, it, you, the consumer is getting better value. Because another brand producing the same product of the same quality with the same movement, it will not cost. It will cost more. I totally agree. Uh, I totally agree. Um, so some questions are pouring in slowly. Um, uh, 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 we'll, we'll jump to them. Walter Teger saying hi on LinkedIn, or, or actually using a perfect uh, emoji hand sign. Um, but I have like a zillion questions for you, so I'll 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 boil it down to one or two, and then we'll jump into uh, our dear viewers' questions. Do you do this full time? I do do this full time. Yes. And you guys are already, if I counted correctly, a team of twelve besides you. Uh yes. Uh, Editorial full time and contributors. Yes, yeah, and a full time photographer. Amazing. Um. And what else was high on my list that I wanted to ask you? So, full-time. I'll just throw in one last one. Where do you think the industry is going to? We can conclude that it's overheated. Where do you see the market evolving the next two, three years? I don't even want to ask five or ten. And if you can, please do. So that's my throw-out question. The, the watch industry is usually lags behind the wider economy. So now you have, well, it's, it's quite obvious that financial markets are in a minor crisis now, stock markets, crypto, whatever it is. Uh, if this continues, it will, I'm sure, affect the watch business in one way or another. But as I said, the watch industry is lagging. So usually what you see is, Demand goes up, the supply of watches goes up. But once demand starts to dip, the supply of watches will still continue to go up for a while. Um, so that, I, I, you know, there may be slower times in store for the watch industry. Mm -hmm. um, Do you think I, it's a good thing? Is it a good thing? Oh, for sure it's a good thing. Uh, because I don't think, well... At, at, at um, Watches and Wonders, I was speaking with uh, uh, Gisbert Brunner, who I'm sure you know who he is. He's been covering watches since uh, before the Quartz crisis. So it's been a long, long time, decades. And he was saying to me that he has never seen a boom quite like this before, where demand for watches is so incredible and so off the charts that, that uh, everyone and everything is doing well. He has never seen anything like this. The closest he can think of is what happened in the 90s, the late 90s with all these crazy complications and independent brands and so on. Uh, so yes, I think it's a good thing because then the industry will, re will adjust itself um, with, uh, to become more sustainable. And also that's where you see the brands that have uh, uh, solid fundamentals, the brands that are doing things right, the brands that have been doing things right, these are the brands that will continue, that will survive and continue to prosper. Because if you look at the watch industry, even for, not even for that long, for say the last 20, 25 years when I've been into watches, we have seen, you know, ups and downs before. 
and very often, uh, as the saying goes, uh, it repeat itself, but it rhymes. And um, you will see uh, often very similar things happening. Yeah. One, one last bonus question, quick one. How do you view the, I call it the commodi uh, commoditization of watches? Uh, it, it, as in buying and selling watches? It, 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 that at a certain point, it becomes commodity and, and not so much anymore about being an object of use or a tool watch or uh, uh, stored in safes or literally f uh, for... for uh... It just reflects the time in the times we are in now because demand for watch is off the charts. The values yeah. have gone so much. And it's, um, there are other... Uh, objects that have become commodities before and after that, when times are not so good, they're no longer commodities. Um, tulips were a commodity once. Beanie Babies. I mean, <laughs> the list goes on. Uh, Interesting uh, that you that you refer to the top mania. So, um, I see. I see you love history, huh, Jake? So, uh, um, yeah. So, I think it just reflects the time we are in now. It is good in the sense that. Um, it, it, it brings more people into the hobby, the attention, uh, the, the attention it, it, it creates, draws people in, but it feels like it has gone too far. And I think it will slowly, uh, it will slowly lose steam as, as the rest of the economy loses steam. I agree with you. So this is a difficult one. I've never had such a long comment. <laughs> it even yeah. goes over our faces. So here goes. Our mutual friend and uh, industry guru, Ernie Romers, the founder of whatyouseek.com, writes on Facebook, thank you for being on Alon's show. Interesting discussions. Apologies for this long message, but my question would be, and I've been asking this myself for a long time now, being the former owner of a watch form site, I was familiar with the, in brackets, competition from other forums, which made me think about how to be different, to stay as attractive as possible for visitors and brands. I know there are a lot of watch blocks located in different parts of the world. What I noticed, though, is, and it's so long that I can't keep on reading it. So, Ernie, if you're still online and watching, we lost your part, but otherwise I'll log into Facebook to see it there. Um I guess you don't know the question either, right? It's it's cut it, off too early, yeah. Huh? How to stay attractive to readers I, and yeah, I think there I think how would I, I guess Ernie is asking you, how do you with sjx.com differentiate yourself and how do you stay different? I guess I guess that's his question. I mean, for me, the starting point is not to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. I guess my audience is smaller than most of the other watch websites, mm -hmm. but my goal is not to be the biggest, to have the biggest audience, but rather my goal is to cater to the people who have similar uh, interests as me in watch mm -hmm. collecting. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so for me, that is enough. And I so, think that so I understand. So, so if quickly I have to ask you mission, vision, strategy, what is that for SJX watches? It would be to provide interesting content for a very specific group of watch enthusiasts who more or less have the same interest as me. <laughs> we, for yeah. people that tune in later, we discussed this, but if we tune in later, what would that be? What interests you if you summarize that, Jake? Um, I think that is impossible to summarize, but it is... It is Go, the floor is yours. Watches that are interesting across every, every price point with an emphasis on independent watchmaking. But again, I think it covers every price point, uh, every genre. Um, I find high-end Seiko Quartz watches interesting. I find Zinn interesting, Nomos, but also FP Jones, Langer. Akrivia. You're like me, all over the place. So Ernie's still live and he updated. So he continues. Um... So he continues, what I noticed though is that when a new watch is released, all these watch sites write about it and I tend to only read one or two because it's 
the same news in the end. And that makes me ask you, and this is the final question, how do you stand out from the other blogs? Do you consider the other blogs as competitors or mainly as friends in that way? Well, uh, firstly, the news about new products, more or less, it's sort of filler. It's not really substantive because it's just talking about new products. Mm-hmm. To stand out, what we try to do is to approach certain topics that I think my our readers are interested in in greater depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, what did we okay recently we covered the MBNF chronograph, mm-hmm. covered in substantial depth, um, and yeah, and I don't I'm not sure if anyone else did it to 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 that level of detail as well, and I know that was interesting for my readers because I got feedback from people that they like the article, they appreciate the points I made. Some people agree, some people didn't. Um, so I think that's that's uh, that's um, what I try to do. Uh, even sometimes we cover watches that I know my readers will be interested in, but nobody will ever be able to buy except maybe one or two people. Like say, uh, Philippe Dufault, uh Grand Sonnery Pocket Watch, mm-hmm. sold last year at, uh, at Philippe's auction. There are only four in the world. So mm-hmm. that's a, not an audience at all. But I know that many of my readers were deeply interested in this watch, which is why I covered it in depth and um, with pictures that show the watch in such a way that Probably nobody will ever else uh, will, will never get to see unless you own the watch. So that is how I think I can well how we can stay different than just appeal to our audience. Yeah, which which if if the viewers now didn't see the beginning of the stream or the interview is what I love about SGX is that you guys go very in depth and technical. And now on topic, indeed, where I go to SGX is if I see a picture and don't grasp what the movement does, I go to you guys. So you guys literally go very... You know what you're talking about. You know how to explain the technicality. You love it, so you radiate the passion. And I think you always add a personal tone or opinion to the piece, right? You're not scared to offend brands because you do... You're, you're truly independent. I, I think if, as long as, you know, as the cliche goes, criticism is constructive yep. and it's grounded in, in facts and reality, then, then that's how, uh, that is what also, that is also what uh, the audience is looking for. Because if I'm not mistaken, you don't sell anything on your website, do you? Not, not the book you published. Yeah. I mean, Correct? we, had you know we had limited editions yeah these are occasional we don't have a permanent store no no but these are the the collabs yeah because the first one i think was a hubbering too right in kudoki and most recent was kudoki Uruk. and work oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was amazing correct that was amazing um so ernie says uh thank you for answering appreciate it um i see we have a little bit more time um a question that was sent in earlier, we actually dealt... No, actually, we didn't deal with this. Um, somebody asks, what's your favorite brand? Well, my favorite brand is a brand. So uh, leaving the products aside, I would say it's Rolex in how they run their business and how they build their business and how they sustain their business. Um, okay. because I, there is no other brand in the world that does business in such a measured, long-term, and uh, modest way. It was surprising to use the word modest to describe Rolex. But, I, you know, it feels to me like they are modest. Like, uh, you know, they... They, they are the, modest. They are modest. The Academy Awards, uh, the Academy Museum, the, the Museum for Film and Motion Pictures in the US. And I think they were one of the, one of the top donors but they seem to be the only donor whose name is not on the list of donors, which is which is how the brand operates. And I think that is very admirable that a brand that is obviously the biggest and most successful successful in this industry um, can operate in that manner and can have um, the long-term vision to operate in a way that ensures the brand is paramount, the quality of products is paramount, and everything else is not so important. And I, th- I agree with you, and I, I think it appeals to you because it um, rhymes with your 
philosophy of long-term, yes. qualitative, sustainable, and, and not on the pulse of trends, I guess. Yes. Um, so we have Rocky here, and I keep on saying it. He's uh, the founder of the Watch 4 crew in the Netherlands. He has joined us live every single episode. I think this is episode number 43 or something in total, cumulative over three seasons. He writes great talk on YouTube and continues to ask, what is your favorite watch complication? Good question, Rocky. I would say it is the chronograph. Mm. Uh, well, for reasons that are obvious in that the chronograph, usually there's a lot to see. But also for the reason is that the chronograph, I think, is the complication that you can get something interesting at every point of the price spectrum. Hmm. So like, uh, like, I, uh, like you know, I just now I mentioned the Zin EZM1 chronograph. I think that's a very interesting chronograph for very affordable price. At the, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the Langer datograph, which is also very interesting. And it's, I don't know, a hundred times more expensive. So I think the chronograph is interesting for what it is and also what you can get uh, for every budget and for everyone. Interesting. You're referring to this one, right? This one and also the, the older version, which I also have, the original Easy M1. Amazing. I, I, I do see that you like Germanic style and watches, don't you? I do. Uh, yes, but again, not specifically. No, no, no. Uh, watches have to be coherent. Uh, so like another watch I have on my table now, so Parmigiani. Yeah. Um, oh, that's like, amazing. Fending hands. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this obviously is not Germanic. It's kind of yeah, fancy. It's the pantograph, no? Pantograph. Yeah. You know, a watch like That's this again. That's your passion from pocket watches, doesn't it? Exactly. So for for me, this the execution is interesting. The uh, you know how they did the expanding hands is fascinating. It's very clever. But the historical inspiration of the vintage, uh, vintage um, William Anthony pocket watches is also fascinating because those watches are extremely rare, extremely expensive, and they are so desirable that both Patek Philippe Museum, Sandoz Foundation have one in their collection, which means these. Handling hands are very special of these collections. Uh, I've had the honor to visit and hold it in my hands. Uh, I'm a great fan of Parmigiani and Michel Parmigiani. And I think Guido Terrini is doing a terrific job. So Rocky concludes, love the Parmigiani Fleurier. He also uh, is a fan. And, and, and we actually visited the manufacturer together, he and I and the crew. Um, Cher Cheryl Fleur Blanc writes on Facebook, wish I could be so lucky. Um, I don't know what it really refers to, but we wish that you will become lucky in the ways you want. We have fewer minutes. Very quick one. Last one. Somebody sent beforehand. What do you expect from the JC Biver brand? So that's Jean-Claude Biver, starting with his son, a new hot, 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 hot luxury brand. Quick one. Well, I expect that he will uh, uh, create what he, he said he would, which is a classically inspired watch with with, with several complications combined one watch. Technically, it'll be very impressive. Um, I'm sure it will be a very impressive product with a, well attractive design. I've seen the drawings. Uh, I think it maybe might take a little longer to come to market uh, because the watch is, the movement is like triple complications. Um, so it might not be ready so, easy, uh, so quickly, uh, but I look forward to seeing what he does. I'm sure. Me too. Me too. And and I, and I found it amazing that he joined the advisory board for Norken. So he really, really keeps on pushing the Swiss watch industry as an ambassador. Um, thank you so much, Jakes. Next next episode in exactly two weeks is with our mutual friend Davide Serato. He's coming back for the second time on the show. This time as the CEO of HYT Watches. I want to thank you very, very, very much. I hope it wasn't too much of a nuisance for you. And, uh, and I'm glad I finally got on your show. Thank you again for having I, me. I, the honor is all, all mine and uh, great pleasure. Cheryl writes, thanks. Ernie says, thanks again. All the best. Um, I hope to welcome you in Amsterdam very soon. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Ace Jewelers podcast. This was the end of the Aceless Live audio only recording. To listen to more episodes or to view them, go to acelist.com. Thank you. <laughs>